Welcome to Idle Chatter, brought to you by the Machinery Digest, where steel and soil meet. A weekly podcast by a New Jersey farmer to all farmers and ranchers across this great nation. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. Regardless of the crop you grow or the livestock you raise, we all have one thing in common. Agriculture runs on passion, sweat, tears, and machinery, and that is why the Machinery Digest exists, a no-nonsense, grease-under-your-fingernails educational website. It was created to provide a transfer of knowledge so that you can maintain, service, and most importantly, understand today's complex farm equipment. My name is Ray Bohax, and I farm too. It is time now to get under the sheet metal. Hello and welcome to Idle Chatter. Ray Bohax here, your host, coming to you from Catswamp Road in Hackettstown, New Jersey, also known as the Hot Rod Farmer. Well, today is a rainy day here, and we had about an inch of rain overnight, and it's a little bit chilly. It's uh, 39 degrees, so it's just on the verge of having a little bit of snow, and we're supposed to have that later next week, or later this week, excuse me, later in the week. So uh, I guess the fall and winter season is starting to come upon us here. I know in many parts of the country that you've had a lot of snow already. And uh, hey, better you than me. That doesn't sound too Christian, right? But uh, I know a lot of guys still have crops in the field. And having that snow in the cold weather is really not, uh, not that good. So I don't mean to make light of that. But hopefully you're having a blessed day and the things are going well and I just want to thank you for listening to my podcast today Idle Chatter and uh, hopefully you're listening to it on the Fran Network and I always like to uh, repeat this every week because there's new listeners coming on board every week which I'm very grateful for so my podcast is available on the Fran Network which is the Farm and Rural Ag Network along with a lot of other podcasts I think there's eight or nine more and in addition to mine maybe 10 with mine and also it is available at ag daily which they have a number of different podcasts there, also listed and housed and uh, you could also listen to it on my website which is farmmachinerydigest.com so we currently have three ways for you to listen so check it all out and also do not forget to uh, come to my website because as i always like to say that there's a lot of other information there beyond the podcast and one of the things that are on the website and also being published every month in the Ag Now magazine, which is part of the Fran Network, is my toolbox test. And I really enjoy uh, creating those tests and hopefully you guys enjoy taking them. And that is uh, one of, I, well, let me put my tongue back in my mouth. That's not good. Um, our talk today Uh, for this podcast is going to be from one of the questions in the toolbox test because what I've seen with the results that are coming back to me that a good majority of people get this wrong and it has to do with warming up an engine any engine with warming it up so we're going to discuss that today but there's a few things I want to go over with you first is that uh, we'll be coming upon the Christmas season a blessed time of year with the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ and as tradition goes people like to exchange gifts so what I decided to do is I am going to start the first annual and hopefully God willing there'll be many more than one the first annual uh, gift guide and what am I and what I am calling it is what to get the hot rod farmer in your life for Christmas or any other time. So what I'm going to do is have a special podcast, a short podcast, it'll probably be about 15 minutes or so, and I'm going to be theme it off of the 12 days of Christmas. So there's going to be 12 different gift ideas for the hot rod farmer guy or gal in your life. And then I'm also going to supplement that with a little article on my website so you could see a picture of all of the Uh, potential gift ideas and also a link to the company's website 
so you could find out more about it and how to purchase it if you do choose to so I'm excited about that because I know oftentimes people struggle to get a loved one uh, a gift and if they are a hot rod farmer then these are gifts that that I'm sure that they will really really embrace and be very grateful that you got for them and then if you're not a hot rod farmer there'd probably be no way for you to even know that these things exist so there'll be a different price points from uh, stocking stuffers to uh, maybe something that you want to uh, chip in with a couple other family members and get the hot rod farmer in your life this really great great or more uh, costly gift so check it out i'm hoping to have that up just before thanksgiving so around november 21st and that will run uh that podcast will be an in inventory in both in all three places and the article will be on the website until christmas so what I would suggest for you to do is uh, maybe make a suggestion to someone to check that out once it's up and then they could also go to the website and hopefully get you one of those gifts if you are a hot rod farmer which I'm sure that you are if you are listening uh, to this but that will that will uh, be in addition to the normal weekly idle chatter podcast there will not be in lieu of it so uh, keep your eyes and ears peeled peeled for that and I think that you will find that there are some really neat uh, gift ideas up there I know there's things up there that I would like to have so hint hint Charlotte to my wife uh, maybe she'll listen to this podcast so listen let's get down to uh, let's get down to work today and one of the questions that I have uh, in one of the toolbox tests I don't honestly remember this four up there right now I create a new toolbox test every month along with a new editorial column called flags across the harvest and uh, so there's four up four toolbox tests up there now and the fifth will be up in December so I really didn't I really didn't start this podcast or this website um, till after we got done with harvest it was up there but it really was uh not publicized and i wanted to build inventory so truly as far as i'm concerned the uh, starting date for all of this is october 1st but there are podcasts and articles on the website dating back to uh july or the end of june when we were actually formulating the website i wanted to have enough inventory that when people did come to it it would not just be uh an empty shelf and also uh, if you go to get a chance to go to the website there's two new articles under the getting to know series and that is about why you may need to use an adjustable flow rate pcv valve positive crankcase ventilation uh, system on one of your older gasoline engines and an old farm truck or what have you and the other article that is up there is about this really neat um, we'll call it an apparatus for lack of better terms it's called the hose end connector and it's to um, to allow thermal expansion in a uh, in the hydraulic system of an implement or attachment that is off the tractor or the skid steer loader or what have you and if you check that out uh, if you ever had trouble hooking something back up up the hydraulic lines after the implement or the attachment sat for a while that will give you the answer and I know I've done I've had that issue with a brand new tractor so uh, and I use the hose end connector and it works great so check that out it's under the getting to know series both the PCV valve article and the hose end connector and uh, it's really good you know it's good for you guys to to be able to look at this and because the more you know the more intimate you become with things the more efficient you will be in the farm shop so uh, as I said check it out read it and uh, leave a comment if you like and if you have any interest just uh, link to those companies then they could give you uh, more information so I want you to know that uh, that I endorse these products because I've used them but there's no financial gain on my part from that whatsoever I just want to convey some good good different uh, I don't know if it's a parts or apparatus or whatever the word would be some as I find something that I think is good I like to be able to uh, tell you guys about it but anyway 
Getting back to this question on one of my toolbox tests about whether an engine should be warmed up or not, I would have to say probably 60 to 70 percent of the people get that wrong and they feel that an engine should be warmed up. And I'm going to explain to you why that is incorrect. And I just want you to stay with me on this because you may be getting your dander up already saying that hot rod farmer's nuts. We always have to warm up an engine. Well, first of all, like anything in life, in history, you have to go backwards because you can't go forwards unless you go backwards and see what, what everything is about. My dad used to say, God rest his soul, uh, you, 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 can't, uh, you can't win the war if you don't know what the battle is about. So back years ago, prior to diesel engines and everything was gasoline powered, if the carburetor was not set properly and then subsequently the choke, automatic choke, was not set properly, and most farm equipment did not have an automatic choke, they had a hand choke, but uh, cars and pickup trucks eventually had automatic chokes. But if the choke circuit was not set properly and the carburetor was not set properly, a gasoline engine would be very bulky uh, to keep running and to specifically to drive away when it was cold. And the reason for that being is that gasoline has a very poor rate of vaporization when the engine is cold and when the air is cold. And because of that poor vaporization, the engine did not run properly and would not take a load properly. I would either buck or stall or a combination of both. So due to that, people got into the habit of, of believing that an engine needs to be warmed up. Now, as an aside to that, if you had an engine with a hand choke, or you had an engine with an automatic choke, we'll go with the automatic choke first, we'll go backwards that way. If the automatic choke spring tension and the fast idle, which they work hand in hand, the fast idle and the spring tension, were set properly, then you would be able to start that car that truck, what have you, start that engine and put a load on it and drive away immediately. If it's not set properly, then that engine will be bulky and not want to drive away until it builds some heat. And once it builds heat, there'll be a greater percentage of the fuel vaporized, turning to a vapor. Now, with a hand choke would be the same thing. If you had an engine with a hand choke and you knew how to modulate that choke uh, so you could just open it up slightly and still leave a little bit of a, rest of a restriction so the carburetor pulls more fuel until it warmed up, you would be able to take that tractor or that truck, if it was a truck or a car with a hand choke on it, and you would be able to drive it away. And as the engine started to build heat, you would push that choke lever in and you would cancel some of that uh, amount of enrichment until there was no additional enrichment whatsoever. It was this, for the same reason for the vaporization of the fuel. So people got the wrong idea. They thought that the engine needed to be warmed up, but it really was not the engine needed to be warmed up. It was because you did not have the choke set properly to give it the proper air-fuel ratio for the load condition you were going to put on it. And when it came to a diesel engine, a diesel engine had a little bit of a different scenario because it didn't truly have a choke. Some injector, some injection pumps did have a cold setting on them that would be evoked and would give the engine a little bit more fuel and also raise the idle speed up when the engine was cold. But since a diesel actually injected the fuel right into the, well, the older diesels into a pre-chamber and then the later diesels right into the combustion chamber, pre-chamber being indirect injection and then the later modern ones being direct injection. But into the pre-chamber is that it was, it was um, injecting the fuel into the combustible region, which was a lot hotter than a carburetor trying to atomize fuel uh, and, and excuse me, vaporized fuel in the in intake manifold. So the diesel was injecting it right into the combustion uh, combustion region. But also they could be a little bit bulky when they were cold, but not to the extent that a gasoline engine would be. 
But what we're going to be talking about today, warming up or not warming up, uh, holds holds true for both gasoline and diesel. But a lot of my emphasis will make examples upon the gasoline engine in the beginning now. So if you turn the clock back to around the late 1970s, I was a young kid and I remember reading in one of the farm magazines, I don't... Uh, remember if it was successful farming or farm journal at the time we did not get I don't think we got progressive farmer back then but anyway that international that was international harvester IH way long before they joined with case they uh, did a a study and they, they found out that there was approximately 1200 percent more wear in an engine when it was cold than when it was warm and what would happen is this would be a sliding scale so as soon as the engine started the first minute or two of operation it could have been 1300 percent more wear and then as the engine started to build heat this would ramp down but in essence the number that they published i think it was like 1136 or 1186 percent more wear when an engine is cold than when it is warm and where does this wear does this wear come from well this wear comes from a number of different regions is that when the parts are cold they shrink in dimension so the clearances are different and also the oil in the crankcase did not get up uh, does not flow as easily when it is cold than when it is warm and la offers and provides a lack of lubrication in many key areas specifically around where the uh, piston rings ride on the cylinder bore and then but the whole engine basically is I don't want to say the word is starved for lubrication but has a uh, minimal amount of lubrication when the engine is cold due to the clearances and then so we have the additional friction of the clearances being tight and we also have the problem of the oil the lubricant the lifeblood of the in lifeblood of the engine not getting to the proper places or in enough and sufficient volume to provide protection so if you were to just hear that you would say well that flies in contrast to what I'm saying is that you don't want to load the engine because you don't want it to have excessive wear when it is cold but the thing that you need to remember about this or recognize is that when an engine is idling it builds very little heat and it builds heat very slowly so what basically happens is that you're exposing an idling engine to a long period of time of excessive wear so the bearings the the uh, all the clearances, the bearing clearances, the valve clearances, the piston, the cylinder wall clearance, the rings, the, ca uh, the clearances in the camshaft, the, to the cam bearings. When you idle an engine from a cold start, it builds heat very slowly. And so all of those parts are experiencing excessive wear during that time. So the goal basically is to shorten or hasten the amount of time that the excessive wear is happening now how can you do this you cannot do this by idling because the rate of thermal excursion or the rate of thermal transfer is uh, very slow so the way you do it is by starting the engine and as soon as it builds oil pressure if it has an oil pressure light then as soon as that goes off or if it has an oil pressure gauge basically in essence as soon as the engine starts it's going to starts it's going to have full oil pressure and if it doesn't you have other problems is that you want to drive away this engine or you want to put a slight load on it because if you put a slight load on it it will build heat quicker because it has to make more power and in any engine and the internal combustion engine is a heat engine it converts chemical energy to mechanical energy so let's say arguably and I'm going to throw arbitrary numbers at you with this so let's say it's 20 degrees outside 
and you go outside and you start the engine. The engine is at ambient temperature. It's sat all night, the oil is at 20 degrees, all the parts in the engine block are at 20 degrees, the crankshaft is at 20 degrees, the oil is at 20 degrees, the coolant is at 20 degrees. Everything is what we would call normalized at 20 degrees at the ambient temperature. So now you start the engine and you let it idle. If you there is not any load on the engine when it is idling, so thus it uses very little fuel, even though if it has some sort of enrichment circuit on, and builds a very little temperature, because temperature and heat are produced when the engine is making power. You could have a 500 horsepower engine, you have a 500 horsepower diesel in a combine, and when it's idling, it probably makes about 10 horsepower. So it only has the heat uh, being generated for 10 horsepower for the amount of power that the engine is making at that particular point. So what will happen is that let's say arguably after two minutes that instead of the oil in the block being at 20 degrees, we said it was 20 degrees outside, that it is now at 40 degrees. Well yes that's better but still not that great. So let's now let's after that say ten, 8 minutes it may be at 60 degrees or 70 degrees and if it's a large diesel engine that block has a lot of mass to it and that mass becomes what's called cold soaked that because anything that has a lot of mass to it will either absorb a lot of heat or absorb a lot of cold so we use the term within within the industry heat soaked and cold soaked so if you were to have that engine that's cold soaked and it has a lot of physical mass to it a lot of weight to it is that it's going to take a very long time for that heat to transfer into those components and if you're not building heat at a high rate it would be like trying to boil uh, a cup of water with a cigarette lighter eventually you will get there but it takes a long time because the cigarette lighter does not have enough btu of heat British thermal units of heat energy, which is a caloric value to to quickly raise that temperature of the water in the cup to make it boil. So if you stayed there for three days with the cigarette lighter, is that you eventually get it to boil, but you would take it would take a very long time versus putting it on a stove that has a high amount of BTU. So using that same theory is that you want to be able to accelerate or minimize the amount of time that engine is seeing excessive wear. Now, as I said in the beginning of this discussion, is that the wear goes down, the amount of wear goes down as the heat is brought up, but it doesn't go it doesn't go down in a linear fashion. So at a certain oil temperature the wear may start to drop a hundred 50% or 30% or 40% so it doesn't go from 1100% wear down to, uh, to down to 1099, 1098, 999 it goes down in steps as the parts start to expand and even though the part may expand in a linear fun in a linear function is that it's more digital the way that the uh, amount of wear drops off because once you start to open up those clearances and get the oil to everything then things start to change very quickly so the problem being is that if you let an engine idle you're bringing it up to temperature very slowly and you're exposing it to a great amount of wear for a longer what we would call an engineering duty cycle so the amount of time that it's running that it is cold as is longer than if you were to put a slight load on it so what is a slight load well if it is a road vehicle a car or a truck you would want to start the engine and then drive it away with very light throttle and you if you live out and you know get out on the road accelerate slowly and get it up to speed and then you will see that it builds temperature very quickly and that it will now reduce the amount of wear if it's a diesel engine uh, on a road vehicle would be the same scenario but if it's a piece of farm equipment like a tractor or a combine or what have you depending upon the application you will either drive that so you could take the tractor and start to drive it slowly to the field uh, if it's a combine you could start to drive it or you could you could engage the header and you want to let it work a little bit uh, to be able to build heat quicker 
Now keep in mind also that if you idle an engine and will a car passenger vehicle pickup truck car is probably a better example for this so let's say that you go and you uh you start it's 20 degrees outside whatever number you want to sign outside it's cold and you start the start the engine up and you go back in the house and you come out 10 minutes later and oh now the engine is is warm and the heater is starting to produce heat and you say oh this is great i'm wonderful i um, now i'm going to get out in the road and i'm going to go like heck right well, keep in mind that by idling the engine, you had very little thermal transfer into the transmission. You've had some, so the transmission is very cold, and that excessive amount of wear is happening there. The uh, wheel bearings uh, are cold because they're not moving. The differential is cold. The universal joints are cold. And even the suspension parts are cold because they're not moving up and down. The shocks are cold. The ball joints are cold. The tie rods are cold. They're all at ambient temperature. So by you driving that vehicle away lightly with light load, not getting it and whacking it to the floor, light load, you are not only warming the engine up quicker and reducing drastically the amount of wear, but you are also at the same time warming up the transmission, warming up the drivetrain, warming up the brakes, the wheel bearings, the pivots in the suspension and what have you. So it is a much smarter way to do this and you will also, for your own benefit, you will build heat a lot sooner in the passenger compartment because the engine is warming up quicker. Now we had discussed this also uh, in a in a previous podcast. I don't recall which one. Is that when on a liquid cooled engine, when the thermostat is closed, what is happening is that you are running the coolant, you are you are bypassing the radiator and keeping the coolant in the block. And once the thermostat starts to open, you are now putting the coolant through the radiator. If you were to have too high an engine speed when the when when the engine is cold, you and the thermostat is closed, then you will actually cavitate that water pump, and over time, that you will compromise that seal, and that water pump will start to leak. And that is why it is so important that I say not only do you want to not stress the engine by going too fast or too much of a load when it's cold, but you want to be able to not have to have too high an RPM reached for that water pump so while it's still feeding the coolant through the bypass circuit of the uh, of the engine so uh, or of the cooling system I should say I don't want to use the word cooling system twice in a sentence but uh, this is a casual discussion so I will do that so when that thermostat is closed all the coolant is going through the bypass circuit once that thermostat starts to open it starts to send some coolant to the radiator so it is imperative that the engine is not racing or you're putting it under terribly high at it exposing it to a very very high rpm but you're driving it away easily and you know this holds true for not only liquid cooled engines obviously with the thermostat it does but if you have let's say like a utv you have a lawn tractor you have anything is that you do not want to let that to sit and idle to temperature. I get on my lawn tractor, I start it up, boom, I drive it away slowly to where I'm going to cut, and once I get once I get to that particular region, then what happens is that I, you know, evoke the PTO and raise the RPM, and I know that by by doing that, I'm extending the life of that of that engine. Now, let's revisit some of this. So this 1200% number came from International Harvester in the late 1970s. Since then a number of things have changed and one of the things that have changed dramatically is the performance of modern engine oil, modern motor oil. Uh, If you ever go on Jeopardy and somebody and they ask you a question, really the proper term is that it's engine oil not motor oil because an engine is internal combustion and a motor is either electric or hydraulic has no combustion so even though we use the term motor oil or uh, use the term motor and engine interchangeably and the actual engineering 
definition is that an engine so has combustion so years ago they would say it's a steam engine they didn't say it's a steam motor they say it's a gasoline engine it's a diesel engine it's a turbine engine and then when it comes to the term motor is that really the proper definition is that it's it's operated uh through without internal combustion so a hydraulic motor uh works through the movement of the hydraulic fluid. An electric motor works through the movement of the electrons uh, spinning the armature. So, but the industry for some reason calls it motor oil, not engine oil. And um, it's just something I guess that's stuck from years ago. But the motor oils, engine oils, whatever you want to call them today, are so much better and have so much better flow characteristics than they did back when International Harvester did that test. So today on a modern piece of equipment that has a different type of oiling system, the modern theory on engine oiling system is exact opposite of what it was years ago which is like years ago we used to think that it was best to turn the soil to plow it not realizing that yeah it looked great and it was nice and soft and it planted well but that we were, we were burning up all the carbon the organic matter in our soil by exposing it to an excessive amount of oxygen well years ago the theory of engine oiling was to have a high pressure oil pump and the what that was found is that in most instances that is akin to moldboard plowing and today the logic is to have a low pressure high volume oil pump so the oiling systems on these engines are based upon having a lower pressure but pumping more volume of oil and with today's oil technology be it you know i like to I use synthetic oils. I love synthetic oils. Whatever brand you choose to use uh, uh, is fine. It's up to you. But synthetic oils have a lot of uh, attributes that mineral oil does not have. And one of, and within o- with oil, there's a and people get viscosity confused with this. And it's not viscosity. It's actually called the pumpability of the oil and it's the cold pumpability of the oil and a synthetic oil pumps very easily and moves very easily through the engine and gets to all the critical parts when the engine is cold on initial startup and that's really important today especially with a lot of overhead cam engines and even a lot of farm equipment big diesels are running overhead cam engines and you have to realize at that particular point that camshaft and that valve train is as far away from the oil oil pan and the oil sump as possible so it's imperative that we get the oil up to there as soon as as soon as quickly as we can to keep those parts lubricated but the pumpability of modern oils be it synthetic or or mineral oils today through improved chemistry and refining processes uh, is greatly greatly improved over what they had international harvest that did their testing back in the late 70s so the uh and a synthetic oil will have a better rate of pumpability with the same viscosity so if it's a 530 1030 then a mineral oil would uh just due to the process that it's to uh to make it a synthetic uh as an aside that a synthetic oil start out as base oils as, as mineral oil and that they are so so modified they go through a synthesizing process that it changes the molecular structure so much and the shape of the molecules that it is no longer recognized as a as a mineral oil because it got changed so much and that's why they call it synthetic because it goes through a synthesizing process and it changes the molecular structure of it but they are excellent excellent as far as their pumpability is concerned and also to uh, maintain their design characteristics at high temperature but we're not talking about that they were talking about the exact opposite the cold so back years ago when ih did that test and printed that data there were mineral oils there was some synthetics but they were really not used in the agricultural industry or the diesel industry or even to much extent in the auto industry 
and that oil had a very poor rate of pumpability back then and the way they were able to have the oil support the combustion load on the bearings is by making it very thick today we have new technology so the oil is actually able to move through the engine when it's cold at a much uh, much sooner at a, at a much quicker rate and get everything oiled but still we do have that same issue of having the parts uh, clearances change from cold and and the oil itself will not be as pumpable at 10 or 20 degrees as it would be at 70 or 80 degrees so we still do have the starvation period uh, of the of the tighter clearances and the oil not being able to get there but it's greatly reduced from that 1979 or test when it was published I believe 78 79 so is the number 1200% with a modern engine when it's cold? I would have to say, I don't have any real data, but from my background, I'd have to say it's not 1200%, but I would probably say it's seven or 800% more wear when it is cold than when it, than when it is at full operating temperature. And, but if you have an older piece of equipment and uh, with, with the older type of oiling system, the older type of mechanic, mechanical components, and then that 1,200% number is probably very real, even though if you put a modern oil in it, in it even a modern uh, mineral-based oil, is that you will have a greater, you'll be have a greater p- a degree of pumpability. So you may bring that down from 1,200% to. Uh, 1100% or 1000% but still whatever the number is is moot the thing is that you have to recognize that there is an excessive amount of wear in every engine when it's cold and your goal with any engine is to be able to minimize that exposure time of when it is ex- experiencing an excessive amount of wear and that is by putting a light load on that engine so it builds heat quicker and as it builds heat and the parts expand and the oil gets flowing to everything is that the rate of wear drops down dramatically and once you get near operating temperature the rate of wear really drops down i'm not going to say obviously it never goes to zero because there's always some sort of wear uh, but another thing I want to discuss is that when the engine is cold, and this is gasoline or diesel, is that you are having a poor rate of vaporization of the fuel. And when you have a poor rate of vaporization, we'll first start with gasoline. When you have a poor rate of vaporization of the fuel and you have an enrichment circuit, be it a choke on a carbureted engine or a cold start enrichment on a fuel-injected engine, is that you're putting more fuel into that cylinder than that engine is able to use simply because it's not converting over to a gaseous state. It's not vaporizing. So it's still in liquid form, albeit in little droplets. And so it's atomized, it's broken down into small little droplets, but it's still in a liquid form. And that liquid fuel actually attaches to the piston and attaches to the rings and to the cylinder wall and washes whatever little oil is there off and exposes that engine to further wear. So what's happening is that part of that 1200% number that IH came up with was part of it was the oil part of it was the tighter clearances but another the third component over the third leg of the stool was that you have a poor rate of vaporization going from a liquid state to a gaseous state to what's called a rarefied form and you had this liquid fuel these little droplets diluting and washing down the oil off the cylinder wall which would cause an excessive amount of wear on the piston ring and on the cylinder wall and end up glazing over the cylinder wall and taking away or masking the crosshatch which held the oil so that is the third most important thing and that still holds true today because the the rate of vaporization has not changed for gasoline over the years so if you have a engine 
and it's seeing a lot of cold starts let's say it's a UTV you're using on your farm or ranch and you're starting it cold you're going a short distance starting it cold it's going through all of these cold start cycles what's going to happen is you're going to end up constantly uh, for the first few seconds of operation running that piston ring against that cylinder wall with no lubrication and then you're also going to because gravity is going to pull that that liquid fuel those little droplets down into the oil pan and you're going to be diluting the oil with gasoline and once you dilute the oil with any amount of gasoline is that you destroy its lubricity its ability to lubricate gets destroyed so that is why you don't want to let that engine sit in idle because you don't want that fuel to wash the oil off the cylinder walls and have excessive ring wear. So that is the third component of it that I need for you to understand. And the fourth component of it is that specifically with a gasoline engine and to a lesser extent with diesel because of the combustion uh, the theory of the combustion event and where the fuel is actually sprayed into the cylinder is that when the engine is cold like that and you have a poor rate of vaporization is that the the cylinder builds a lot of carbon deposits and it builds carbon deposits on the back of the intake valve which is called IVD intake valve deposits and it builds a high rate of carbon deposits because there's just enough heat for it to start to build carbon but not for it to truly have a chemical to mechanical energy gas exchange of that fuel so you build carbon deposits and an engine that is cold started a lot and an engine that is idle to warm up a lot will have an excessive amount of carbon deposits built over the years and then that will drastically affect the performance of that engine and its longevity and also over time will have enough carbon deposits that it will stick the piston ring so that is not good so let's recap here when an engine is cold we have tighter clearances we have a lack of lubrication we have poor vaporization not atomization vaporization of the fuel which now washes the gasoline or the gasoline the uh washes the oil off the cylinder wall be it with gasoline or diesel and then we have that that fuel that is actually washing the cylinder wall down and that is now leaching into the oil and polluting the oil and losing its and, and destroying its lubricity so that's what's happening when you're idling an engine to warm up whether you choose to believe it or not and the goal is to start the engine as soon as it has oil pressure up which is basically instantaneously take that engine and that hopefully that drive line some farm equipment is a little bit more difficult to do but you know if you're going into the field you don't need to start the engine let the track ride a little combine drive it into the field slowly low rpm you don't want to you don't want to uh you don't want to cavitate the water pump and create and, and and violate that seal so low rpm and you start to go and it'll start to build heat the temperature will come up inside the uh, passenger compartment you'll have heat quicker you'll be on a on a piece of let's say like a combine you'll be warming up the hydraulic oil at the same time to the hydraulic motors you'll be warming up the wheel bearings on the transmission you'll be warming up that fluid on a road vehicle with a different differential you'll be warming up the differential fluid everything is warming up together at one time it's coming up uniformly in temperature and you will have a piece of equipment that will not only service you better but will last so much longer and have minimum a minimal amount of repairs because of the excessive amount of wear that you have eliminated you know, now, I have a drag race background, and if you ever went to a drag race, you would see what the guys will do is that in the pits, they will actually start the car up, and they'll put it on jack stands, and they'll run the engine, and they'll run the engine, or run the, run the tra- shift the gears in transmission, and have the differential spinning so that they warm the whole drivetrain up uniformly. Now, I do want to uh, put some caveats to this. Let's say you happen to have a vehicle and it's out, it stays outside 
and it's outside and it's covered with ice or snow and you have to warm that up to get the ice off the windshield i wouldn't go crazy over this i mean if you have to warm it up a couple of times a year due to this that's not going to have a uh any real adverse effect on the longevity of it all right so these are circum certain cir circumstances when you will have to do that but as long as you don't make this a habit and that's why i'm so against these so many of these car companies today in the cars and pickup trucks are offering a remote starter and they say, oh, you could start the car up while you're sitting in the house having breakfast and it keeps the doors locked if you live in the city and it, it runs and it puts the, you put the heat, it puts the heat on and the engine is warmed up. Well, I cringe when I see those ads because that's the worst thing in the world for an engine. And if you are habitually doing that, not only are you wasting fuel and polluting the air but you're creating an excessive amount of wear in that in, in that engine and anybody who's an engineer and an engine guy will tell you that it may be good for a marketing guy to sell you a pickup truck that you could you know, sit in your kitchen and with a remote start warm it up and come out there so it's nice and warm and the ice is melted off the windshield but if that engine could speak to you and that drive line you would it would say that you're killing it and that is really not what we want to do and uh you know i want to just break away from this uh before i close and i want to just say to you that the uh, you know the whole premise and i say this so often that the whole premise of this podcast and my website the farm machinery digest uh website is that i want your farm to be efficient and and I want your farm and ranch to be profitable. And, you know, so many times, I mean, not, I mean, often, so many times, all the time, all I hear is market-focused decisions, okay? We're talking about what the, you know, the market, what the Chicago Board of Trade is offering for a crop or for cattle or what have you. And, and I always say this to you, and I'm going to beat this into your head because it's going to be like a broken record. If not every week, it's going to be nearly every week, is that that's only one element of your success. Yes, the, you need to, you owe it to yourself, you owe it to your farm, you owe it to your family to get the most for your crop, be it, be it a grain crop, be it a vegetable crop, be it a livestock crop, what have you. But the other side of the ledger column is your expenditures. And, you know, and I don't see people talking about the money that's being spent. They talk about input costs for their crop, but they don't talk about the machinery costs. And that's really why I started this whole deal is because, you know, and I've seen this time and time again in other businesses. I mean, in, in every industry is that you could see this. If you don't, if you could have the greatest amount of sales, you could have the greatest amount of, of, of gross profitability on this, on your service or widget that you're making and selling. But if you have the back door open, it's all flying out. And I just really want to stress this to anyone who's listening to this is that it is imperative. It is imperative that you basically run your machine side of your ledger as efficiently as you do your your agronomy or animal husbandry side. Because if you could limit the amount of repairs that you have, if you could make a piece of equipment last longer, if you could get it get better value it on a trade-in uh, when you go to sell it, then that's all money that does not need to be earned. And as I always say, it's not what you make, it is what you keep. You could have low crop prices and a very efficient operation, and you could come out and you could come out great with a very profitable year. Or you could have great crop prices, high yields, and have everything blow up in the shop and you're basically out of business. And I've said this before. You know, and sadly, I've had exposure to some of the high-yield farmers, and there's nothing that I'm taking away from what they're doing there, but it is, you know, I, I say, yeah, the guy's got great yield, I'm not going to deny that, I can't accomplish that, but then I go over to his tractor, and or I go over to his combine, I go over to his pickup truck, and, uh, you know, the, the thing... It's got a lot of issues on it that he very easily could have avoided if he put only one tenth of the care into that piece of equipment that he did to try to get his yield. And you know, and the good thing about it is that it's a 
lot easier, a lot easier for you to do make smart decisions in your farm shop with doing stuff like not warming up your engines, to, idling to warm up, putting them slightly under load, than it is to try to get high yield out of a crop. So it's it's a lot easier, and once you get into that mindset, then that's it's fine you'll you'll do it it'll be second nature and you will see that your expenditures in the farm shop will go down dramatically because your downtime on the equipment is going to go down and you're not going to be forced to be doing repairs that are not necessary and your whole idea is to make everything last longer and that doesn't mean you're not going to spend any money but you're going to invest money and as i said last year at commodity classic my wife spends money i invest money there's a difference when you spend money all you do is expect to bring something home with you and get a bill in the mail if you put on a credit card when you invest money or you invest your time into something you're investing your time to listen to this podcast you're investing your time to go on my website and read an article is that you expect to glean a return from that so an investment an investment will give you a return a purchase or spending money will give you something warm and fuzzy and a bill in the mail and the thing is that you need to invest not <coughs> excuse me <coughs> excuse me you need to in- I'm getting all excited you need to invest in your farm and in your business so listen you have a blessed blessed day and I thank you so much for listening and uh, we didn't do a special delivery segment today because I was running a little bit long but we will have one next week but I do want you to know that every time that we do have a special delivery and even when we don't that it's brought to you by Firestone Ag it's a company that is founded by Harvey Firestone a fourth generation farmer from Columbiana Ohio Harvey dreamed of putting rubber tires on farm tractors and his innovative mindset is the core of Firestone Ag today and lives on with their 23 degree tread bar and AD2 technology the soil is the lifeblood of your farm. Trust it only to Firestone. So I'm so proud that Firestone is part of this. And I ask you to, uh, when it comes time for tires, you know, please check them out. Because you'd be buying tires from a farmer, from Harvey Firestone, the fourth generation farmer from the heartland in Columbiana, Ohio. So listen, you have a blessed week. And I hope things go well for you. And please know, as I always like to close and say, that I'm honored that you listen to this and visit my website. And the Hot hot Rod Farmer is pulling for you, the American farmer and rancher, and my beloved, beloved America. So you have a great day, and I will hopefully talk to you next week. Bye.